Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. We're media people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not uh, quote-unquote journalists. We're um, opinion people, I guess. Okay, right? yeah. um, we don't pretend to be anything but that. The people in the so-called news, of course, pretend to be journalists when they really just want to share their opinion. And some of them have really are really bad at sharing their opinions. Yeah, and apparently they've been freaking out, some of them, about this White House Correspondents' Dinner I saw a couple of uh, images from it, very, very well-attended dinner with, I don't know how many hundreds of people in a large ballroom. Uh, I, th- I think Joe, you know, Joe Biden spoke to them or something like that. I don't know. I, I don't pay close attention to the goings-on. But you said one of these correspondents was in attendance there, at least one, and absolutely losing their mind. Yeah, well, I didn't even know this had happened, right? The, mm-hmm. the first thing I saw about it was today, and it was just this... Daily Mail article blasting this person for saying that the room was like a horror film. A terrified of COVID Washington Post reporter being mocked for tweeting a photo of the White House Correspondents' Dinner saying that she has a fear of breathing near people, but people are everywhere. Why would she go? That's a really good question. I don't know. (laughs) Because it was her job or something like that? I guess. I guess so. She is a Washington Post reporter, but... But if it's that important to you, why don't you just tell your editor, oh, sorry, I don't feel comfortable going to this. It sounds like one of those industry things where, you know, it's kind of a who's who. You got to go. If you can can make it, you should go because it's about, you know, networking or whatever. Well, she thought it would be good for her career, certainly, to go to this thing. Otherwise, she, she, would, she would not have gone, yeah. even though she was evidently terrified and trapped within tables in a room without exits the entire time. Yeah, she looks a little bit older, maybe like in her early 50s or something like that. She goes on to say that she's been kindly asked not to show up in the office for a week after covering the correspondence dinner, which shows how much faith we all have that this won't be <laughs> another super spreader, she reported on Friday. Wow. Imagine still living in so much fear. I know, man. I Drudge Report is all about this stuff. They're like, hey, you know, Delta couldn't come back. It didn't matter when Delta was here the first time. That's not going to scare people. And Fauci's like, no, Bill Gates is saying the worst of COVID is yet to come. Who cares? Didn't Fauci just say that it's the end of the pandemic? Did he? I thought I saw headlines about that, too. Again, I'm like you. I don't pay that close attention. I I really just don't pay close attention to it because, I mean, at least here in New Hampshire, it's not affecting us in any way, shape, or form. There's no lockdowns. There's no mask mandates at this point. Anyone wearing a mask is doing it purely for signaling purposes uh, or, you know, maybe they're actually that still that afraid and going out in public. But it's pretty minimal now. Industries have their little clubs, right? So, uh, I, you know, maybe uh, Free Talk Live, we've been to the, the Talkers Media conferences over the years until COVID happened and then New York City went insane. And so we haven't, we haven't been back uh, in the last couple of years. But that's, you know, kind of like a club. I mean, not a member per yeah. se, but it's, it's one of those industry events. You get together and you network and, and then you go home. And then maybe if you uh, meet the right people and then if you're working for like a career or something like that, like this lady was working for the Washington Post and she met somebody who works with the New York Post and she wants to move out of D.C. and go to New York, then the connections might get her to where she wants to go. So it's it's usually one of those kind of I see. schmoozy, 
industry networking things primarily. That's my guess. So it's about, about rubbing elbows, meeting yeah. people, that sort of yeah, thing. That's okay. absolutely what it is. I mean, these are businesses that are very, very small generally. Uh, certainly the press business is smaller than it's ever been as far as we've covered the newspapers going either completely out of business or cutting back their newsrooms 25%, getting rid of, uh, as they did here in Keene recently, getting rid of an entire edition of the paper. Got it, they cut the Saturday paper and now it's just the weekend edition. Uh, so Well, the newspaper as an idea, it, it's obviously bad. It's obviously flawed. It's out of date. The old models are going away. And and so these events, these industry events, are are very um, insular. There there there's a it's almost like a closed system. There's only so many thousand people. Um, incestuous might be a, a, the right word for it. There's only so <laughs> many people that work for sure. ABC, NBC. You know, you fill in the blanks of whatever the the companies are, and and they kind of move around. So, and the same thing's true in the radio business, where this one program director works over at station A in New York City, and then he'll pop up in LA after a couple of years. They just are constantly shuffling and moving, but it's always the same group of people. So you go to these conventions, or at least I can speak to the radio conventions. You go to the the talk radio conventions, and over the 15 years that I've been going to these things, I've seen the same people again and again. It's just their job titles change and who they're working for changes. So I can't imagine that... The- Do their job titles change in like a general upward trajectory, though? Sometimes, like, like yeah. When you're there, like, sure. I'm the talk radio host, and next year, like, oh, yeah, I'm the programming director at this station or whatever. I mean, that has happened. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But sometimes it's just shuffling. It's but sometimes like, it's, you lateral. go from one station to another. Yeah, okay. exactly. One company to uh, another company with similar jobs between them. And that's just the way it is. So I'm sure the, the press business is exactly the same way. So last night, I was headed home, uh, you know, headed to my home driving my property, um, and these really weird blue lights get behind me. Well, let me rephrase that. I'm driving home, and this Dodge Charger gets right up behind me to the point that I can't see. So I do the reasonable thing, and I slow down. Mm -hmm. And when he stays right behind me, I do the next reasonable thing, and I get over. And so he blue lights me. I drive down the road to a gas station, mm. um, and he is on the intercom screaming at me. Oh God! I get, I get. Hold, hold on, station. before you before you go on, how long was it between when the blue lights came on and you got to the gas station? Quarter mile, half mile. Okay, so it was it was within sight. It was within visible distance. And I mean, usually they don't. Yeah. Yeah, usually they don't mind that. As long as you know you put, hit your brakes and you put on a turn signal or your mm-hmm. hazards away, you make it clear that you're going to cooperate. You're just going to safe place to do it. They usually, in my experience, they tend to not mind that. And sometimes they actually appreciate it. And it depends on how amped up uh, or how roided out or whatever. Well, he was this clearly was. roided out. I mean, yeah. just like a predator, you can tell when they get behind you like that. You yeah. know, you know they're out for blood, mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's all the more reason to go to a public place where there's video cameras around and potential witnesses. I asked him for his badge number, and he goes, "Who are you?" And I said, um, <laughs> "Look, man, you ran my like. I know you ran my plates. You know who I am. Um, you're acting this way because you ran my plates." And he goes, "Well." Um, I know you don't have car insurance, so this vehicle is not moving. Okay. Um, what are we doing? 
like, what's the reason for the stop? He's screaming. Sergeant comes up. Sergeant, like, orders me out of the car. I said, I am not moving, Sergeant, until that gun is in its holster. I said, I have no legal reason to do anything right now. I am under duress. I am afraid for my life. He is threatening me right now with that weapon. I'm not moving. Not happening. And so a bunch of officers come in, and to their credit, they're level-headed. They move him. I'm like, look, I'm not getting out of this vehicle until he's gone. He pointed a weapon in my general direction. In the state of Georgia, that is a death threat. I am scared for my life. So even after multiple other police officers showed up, he, he continued keeping his gun at the ready? Um, so he has the gun at the ready and then they move him away and then they order him to holster it. But he's walking around the parking lot like a shark looking for blood. (laughs) Wow. I mean, he's a predator. That's what they do. I look at this guy. I'm like, Hey, are you even a cop? And that just agitates him. And so backup gets there and all this is going on and so on and so forth. And they tell me that the insurance isn't showing up in the system. So I pull up on my phone the insurance policy, Mm. and I show them, here's the VIN number. You can check it. Here's this. You can check that. The insurance is valid. Here is the last debit card payment. Like, it's all good. Like, we're not playing this game. We're good. Just leave me alone. I'm going home now. And they go, well, it's not in our system. And the DDS, Department of Driver Services, is showing you to have um, a a quote-unquote suspended tag. And Uh I said, okay, um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk in that gas station, and they're going to tell me I can park the car here, and I'll just leave, right? Because y'all are psychos. I told that to the sergeant, and he goes, excuse me? I said, I'm leaving my car here. Y'all are psychopaths. Have a great day. I was I was a half mile from home. I was gonna walk there, have my roommate drive me home, drive mm-hmm. back to the gas station, grab the grab the car, and leave. Right? Sure. And whatever. So he decides that they're gonna tow it instead. I said, <laughs> "You don't have my permission to tow my vehicle." They said, "We're gonna search your vehicle." I said, "You don't have permission to search my vehicle." How can they, they tow said, your your car if it's not on the side of the road? I am five foot nine and 138 pounds soft okay. and wet. I am not a big dude. Yeah. And he says something. I go, dude, mutual combat's like illegal in the state of Georgia. Like, you seem really, really angry. If, if you need to let some of your frustration go, like, come on, I'm ready. And the sergeant gets really upset, and they decide that um, they decide that it's my, my vehicle's towed, the gun's in my my possession the groceries are in my hands i go to walk down the road and lo and behold who shows up the lieutenant the lieutenant pulls over and goes hey man you can't walk home i look at him i go what the hell i can i go if you tell me what i can and cannot do one more time we're gonna have an issue i am not i am not a peasant and you are not on behalf of the king and he goes it's really dangerous please get in the car i need to talk to you and he says (sighs) i really I, he goes, I came in because of this. I'm off shift. I am in charge of all the road deputies. I said, well, you're in charge of a bunch of nymphs and poops. I didn't say nymphs and poops. Thanks. Um, 
Yeah. You you kick me off the air real quick. You scream and press a button and I'm gone. <laughs> um, and so the the captain is trying to talk to me and I say, let me ask you something. He goes, what's that? I said, when you ran my tag, what do you see? And in Georgia, we have a special VA, right? We have a special Veterans Administration. And for some reason, that ties into everything. When you uh, say you're a border yeah. sheriff, does that mean you're working for the state as a as a sheriff? Just to clarify, yeah, okay. I, I'm I'm the the elected sheriff for one of the four border counties in Arizona. This county has the largest border patrol station in the United States and the third largest largest in the United States. We have the largest largest ports of entry with Mexico. I'm confused, wow. and I just Arizona. need a little clarification that having you know run for sheriff myself, are are you the <laughs> sheriff of the? County or is like border sheriff a a different position than just sheriff? No, there's 15 counties in Arizona, and there's four that are on the border, and I'm in one of those border okay. counties. So, so you're a sheriff that happens to be okay. Gotcha. Yeah, and kind of the reason I'm calling in tonight. There's so much hype on um, this whole Title 42 thing. I think one of the last last I think it was the last caller last night that called in to the captain was a woman talking about, uh, you know, she had the right position on opposing mandates to do with the coronavirus, as I have also done. But when it came to the border stuff, she was the the inevitable invasion, the caravans, the surge, all this kind of nonsense. And, you know, this if you if you guys are familiar with the whole Title 42 issue, it's this boondoggle, this red red herring thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's in the news a lot right now. What it is, it's the thing that Trump started and then Biden continued that said um, all the people coming across the border would be de- de- deported immediately without processing because of the fear that they all had COVID. Everyone else campaigned on a crisis. We need more DUI checkpoints. We need a bigger wow. drug war. And I did the opposite of that and just thinking, well, it'll be an opportunity to educate the public. But That's I didn't awesome. expect I mean- to win. But at the end, ultimately, I... I got four times as many votes as the guy who came in second place, so it was kind of surprising. Congratulations. That's amazing. I believe it because that's all we ever hear is, you know, do we need more DUI checkpoints? We've got the caravans. We've got an immigration crisis, and you're yeah. coming out. You're saying, no, uh, turn off the TV. Look outside your window. Everything's fine. And people go, oh, okay, he's right. It's really weird. I, I, I live right along the border, and me and my wife take walks every night right along the border, and mm. it's peaceful and everything, and all the networks have come to me and say, I've done ride-alongs with Fox News and ABC, CBS, NBC, with Telemundo, Univision, the, the, the Spanish and English networks. And mm-hmm. they say, take me to the place where there's the big surge of people coming in waves across the border. And I say, well, I'll take you to the border, but all you're going to hear is the wind blowing and the birds chirping. It's just <laughs> so much nonsense. It's just the sky is falling, the crisis mongering. And a really weird thing happened in the last over the last two years. They, there's about 4 million legal visa holders in Mexico, and they wouldn't let any of them come across because of, you know, COVID. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, they, they turned them all away at the legal ports of entry. So a lot of them came across between the ports of entry. So these are people that have legal visas um, to enter in the U.S., but they were all turned around and deported under this Title 42 thing. So it, it, made, it made bigger numbers. You got elected for the first time to replace a four term or seven term, seven uh, four year term sheriff there in uh, in the county. David, and, I'm curious. Um, and you're a libertarian. I don't know if you use that word to describe yourself, but uh, you definitely seem like it. You you're pro immigration. It seems like you're 
you uh, are a critic of the war on drugs. And uh, sorry, Aria had a question. No, that, that was pretty much going to be my question yeah. is, you know, what what party you ran under or is this a nonpartisan election? Yeah, well, I would consider myself, you know, non-political, you know, uh, if I have to use a word anarchist or vol- voluntarist, voluntarist, but um, no, nobody has ever been elected in this county other than in the Democrat Party. So mm. when I was first going to run, I'd ask some different people, said, I'd like to run under no party or just independent. And they said, well, if you just want to make a statement, yeah, you could do that. But if you want to win, you have to run as a Democrat. This is one of those counties that's, I think it's 84 percent uh, Democrat. Hmm. So um, that that's how I run, ran. Amazing. But you were in a multiple uh, candidate race because, like you said, this other guy, it sounded like he was retiring and that's why he left the seat. Yeah, he he had been a city cop for 25 years. He retired from that. And then he was the sheriff for 28 years after that. So he was in his late 70s and he had been doing basically the same thing in this community, law enforcement, for 50 some years. So how did this fear mongering about immigrants work prior to COVID-19? Because well, the, the mythology, county, at least, my, is that Democrats are pro-immigration. Well, yeah. In, in, in my county, it's primarily Democrat. The other border counties, like, for example, Cochise County, Yuma County, uh, they're pr- primarily uh, Republican. A lot of retired people from the Midwest and from the East Coast that come out here. And like I said, it's, it's easy to scare them. So... Arizona does the same in the governor race, in the Senate race, uh, you know, congressional races. It's kind of really weird now. I've had both of our U.S. senators. um, They're Democrats, but they have gone into border crisis mode. They've called me and said, hey, can you give give me a quote? People are saying I'm not tough enough on the border. And I'm saying, no, you're a you're a border crisis monger like they both of our U.S. senators that are Democrats, Mark Kelly and Kirsten Sinema have both uh, both opposed list, lifting this Title 42, this thing mm. that says everybody needs to be deported in an expedited manner with no processing, because they think they want to get the conservative votes in this state, too. So they're becoming border crisis mongers. And mm. we're also in a governor election year where there's gubernatorial race. I have been called, and they come by and, and meet me, all of the governor candidates, and they all want me to give them a quote about how they're tough on the border. And I'm <laughs> like, you're talking to the wrong guy. Wow. I mean, it doesn't matter if they're a Democrat or Republican. They're all trying to push this border fear. I didn't understand why some libertarians would support the state on border enforcement, where they think, yeah, we can use taxes, which is theft. You know, it's not a voluntary wealth transfer. Use taxes to support border guards. Um, and, and I thought, well, I didn't understand, especially certain Austrian economists, not all of them, like, Hans Hermann Hoppe and Murray Rothbard, some of them kind of suggested that you still needed, um, you know, state-run border enforcement before you had, you know, a, to- a totally free society. And I never understood that. So I went on a personal mm-hmm. exploration. And after I read everything they wrote, I wrote a book to refute. It's a real niche book. It's never going to be really a widely read, widely popular book, but it's for libertarians that don't understand why there are certain anarchists, certain voluntarists that hate the state and they want the state to go away in every area except border enforcement. So yeah. that's why I wrote it, it's just so to nuts. refute those arguments. Good. Well, I, I have a hard that. time believing those types. 
of libertarians and anarchists are even real. You know, I mean, I know that intellectually they are, but mm-hmm. it's such a strange concept to me. Yeah, it's just it's an issue that they're just holding on to for some uh, some reason. And I guess you can learn all about it. Uh, check out well, his book. Yeah, like like Harry Brown, a candidate, libertarian presidential candidate, said years ago. He said, like you know. Generally, everybody says that they believe in freedom, whether they're on the right or on the left, but they mm-hmm. have that one little issue that they, something they want the state to do for them. Speaking of the civil asset forfeiture, yeah, they. Well, before we get too far into that, I just want to bring it back to that point that you can do something about this. It's just not a fight you want to fight. Now, I have no issue with that. You know, you don't want to take on the federal government and the powers that be and create this constitutional crisis. I get that. But that's different from well, saying you, know, you I can't. Do, I, I do a lot of those, Aria. Yeah, I, I do a lot of those things, and 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 have victories, like uh, you know, like give us when, a victory. When I first came into office, I knew there was going to be something like the pass, pass, vaccine passport. So I read up on it. I learned about you know uh, informed consent, Nuremberg Code, American with Disabilities Act, the HIPAA Act, all these reasons why you can't mandate somebody to, to undergo a certain health procedure. So sure enough, when I was here two weeks in mid January, when I just gotten here, mm. I got a call from the county attorney's office, the elected county attorney saying, um, do you want to make vaccines mandatory for all sheriff's office employees? Because they rolled it out in a tier system, three stages in Arizona and law enforcement, first responders was the first ones to get the vaccine because they have contact with the, the public. So they said, do you want to make it mandatory as a condition of employment? And I said, no, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm abiding by the legal principle of informed consent. Um, I don't even know if they get the shot or they don't get the shot. And they said, okay, that makes it easier on us. Two weeks later, one of the Board of Supervisors called and said, what do you think you're doing over there? Because it set a precedent. I was the first one that opposed it, so the city police opposed it. They said 50% of the police officers aren't getting the shot. You had mentioned about civil asset forfeiture. If I could jump back to that. Another weird thing that happened is all these sheriff's departments and police departments rely on this stolen money that's just taken from people and no criminal charges are filed. Mm-hmm. They process it through the federal government. The feds keep 20% and give 80% back to the, the, local, the local entity. While a, a legislator in Arizona introduced a bill that said you have to have an underlying crime before you can take somebody's money. You have to have a conviction on an underlying crime, like say that somebody kidnapped a family member of yours and you paid ransom and then Somebody found the ransom money in possession of the guy who stole it. Well, you know, then you could you could take the money back and forfeit it because there's an underlying crime. But guess what? Well, all the sheriffs in Arizona just went nuts, and they wrote a letter from the Sheriff's Association to the governor and to the legislator saying, um, and, and they wanted it to be unanimous, that all the sheriffs would sign it and say, we need this money. It's essential to our operations. And the only change in the law, Ian and Aria and nobody, the only change was they tweak the wording to say you need to have an underlying crime before you can take the money. And they're used to just grabbing money um, and, and just taking it. And then you have to claim it and try to get it back. Normally, libertarians don't get elected past dog catcher. And mm-hmm. I'm not exaggerating with that. If somebody's a libertarian, they just don't get elected in general. And that's, of course, one of the reasons why he did get elected is he didn't run as a libertarian, but he's still a self-described voluntarist, which means he's still a you know principled libertarian. He's a published libertarian. He's got a book, uh, more than one apparently, but the one I have is uh, Immigration, Individual versus National Borders. And see, that's great to us yeah. because we care about liberty and we care about people doing things that are going to make the world a little bit more peaceful, a little bit freer. Yeah. But the Libertarian Party doesn't care about any of that. No. 
no. They just want to be able to say they have a success story of someone who ran for office with an L next to their name. And if they don't have that, the Libertarian Party doesn't give an S about them. Yeah, your your persona non grata to you to the Libertarian Party unless you run with their letter next to your name. And it's just it's sad. And it's I, I, he did point out that he's been interviewed by Tom Woods and some other folks. So it's not like he's yeah. But the Libertarian Party has never come up like, hey, this guy he he's right. great as they should. You yeah. know. That that's what I would expect from the Libertarian Party. Yeah. Like, hey, look, we don't really. I mean, they they were supposedly they they organized a political party in order to game the system or whatever. Okay, but you have people who are doing that. They just don't have the letter next. To their They're name. working the system in a different way. They're working the system in a way that's actually working. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes. Subscribe to our podcast, listen live, and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.